you want to, you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to James chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 7 through 11 today. You can hold your place there. Uh, When we get to that, we'll also uh, put it on the screen uh, behind me. Well, I can't remember who said this. It, It might have been John Maxwell, but it's one of the best pieces of advice I think I've ever received. It was a simple encouragement. Don't look at problems as being exceptional. Instead, accept problems as being normal. What an awful line, and yet really, really true. Our lives, I think, will go much better if we just reset our expectations and realize that problems are not exceptional, uh, they are normal. And the Bible supports that statement, actually. That wasn't just John Maxwell or whoever else said it that I forgot. Uh, The Bible supports this statement. Uh, The book of Job gives us this reality-based assessment of life. Man born of woman is of few days and full of trouble. Does not say man married to woman is, it says man born. Okay, it was just a joke. Half of you liked it, half of you didn't. It was unplanned, and I get in trouble when I go with unplanned jokes. So ladies, I am sorry. Can I, can I get you back for the rest of the message? Okay, all right, thank you. How many of you would say that you have fairly assessed life and you would like to affirm that the book of Job has called that one correctly? Yep. Most of us would say that. I came across this line from Matthew Henry this week. Uh, Matthew Henry was a theologian that lived in the 17th and 18th centuries, and here's what he had to say. When we think that the best men have had the hardest usage in this world, we should hereby be reconciled to affliction. And he wrote this in commenting on our text today. He wrote it uh, while commenting on James chapter 5 verses 7 uh, through 11. And it's a reference to the fact that the best people, the the people who have lived the most God-honoring lives have often had the hardest lives. And so Henry's saying that even if the very best people have had to face such difficult lives, then all of us should just be reconciled to the fact that life is going to be difficult. And a look at the best people, the most commendable people in Scripture, bears out Henry's point. Uh, James, which we're going to look at here in a minute, specifically references the Old Testament prophets of God as examples of people whose lives have been uh, really difficult, even though they were very faithful to God. Uh, Jeremiah was one of those prophets and one of those really commendable people, and yet throughout Jeremiah's life, he was beaten, he was placed in stocks, he was imprisoned, he was thrown in a cistern. How many of you have been thrown in a cistern? Not a problem. We have much today, but, but that's a problem. Jer- Jeremiah faced that. Uh, Hebrews tells us of the good men and women, the heroes of faith, the, in the Faith Hall of Fame, Hebrews chapter 11, and it tells of good men and women who the writer of Hebrews says, the world was not worthy of these people. 
That they were so good that the world was not worthy of them. And yet they suffered jeers and flogging. They were chained. They were placed in prison. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tortured. They were put to death by the sword. And of course, no one is more famous for tough times, uh, more famous for suffering than Job. You, you don't have to be real familiar with the Bible. You, you don't have to be real familiar with uh, God's Word at all to, to probably be somewhat aware of Job. He was a good and faithful man, but it did not spare him from great difficulty. When we think that the best men have had the hardest usage in this world, we should hereby be reconciled to affliction. This is the truth that we might as well accept. Life is difficult. Problems are normal, not exceptional. Man's days are few, and they are full of sorrow. It's a great paradox because life is a blessing. And life is wonderful in so many ways. And yet life is really difficult It is full of trouble. It is full of sorrow. And I don't think you need me to spend much time trying to convince you of this. If you've lived very long at all, you know that this is true. Most of us have faced various kinds of difficulties, various kinds of uh, sorrows in abundance. We've had relational problems that have hurt us deeply. We have faced financial trouble. We have faced the loss of people that we love. We may be in chronic pain or we may be facing a potentially terminal illness. We've lived through the loss of income and the list could literally go on and on and on of the difficult things that life sends our way. And sometimes, let's be honest, it just seems like a little too much. It just seems too much uh, to bear up under. As we continue in our series on the book of James, we come to this fifth chapter and we are going to focus our attention in the fifth chapter on these uh, verses 7 through 11. And these verses are addressing people who are suffering. They're addressing people who are oppressed. And it seems that some of the suffering may have been a result of mistreatment at the hands of uh, what, what the Bible refers to as rich oppressors uh, who are referenced in the first six verses of this chapter 5. But as has been noted uh, several times throughout this series, James has written much like the uh, book of Proverbs. And so I believe that this uh, writing of James is applicable to any and all causes of suffering and oppressions uh, and oppression that the Christians to whom James uh, was writing may have been facing. And while our difficulties are not the same as their difficulties, his words of encouragement, his advice, his counsel has application for all of the various difficulties that we encounter in life while we are seeking to faithfully live for the Lord in this fallen world. What James is very concerned uh, with in these verses is helping his readers with something. And it's this, he does not want them to lose heart in the face of their adversity, their oppression, and their suffering. He is very concerned that the Christians to whom he is writing 
And all of us here today don't lose heart. And so he instructs them on how they can resist this temptation to lose heart. How they can actually remain steadfast even though the circumstances of their lives are really, really hard. And I believe that there are uh, some people here uh, today in in this room who maybe even this very day you have been facing the temptation to lose heart, to give up, to bail out on faith. I think there are people here today who have been facing the temptation to conclude that your problems are proof that faith doesn't work. Or maybe you know someone who's in that place. Their frustration level is growing and you can sense that they're just about to lose heart. They are just about to give up. And so whether you are that person who's close to losing heart or someone you know is, my prayer is that today you would really open up your heart and that you would receive what James has to tell us about how we can remain steadfast in tough times. There is godly wisdom that James has for us that if we'll receive it, can truly make a difference in our lives, encourage us, and equip us to soldier on, to be steadfast, to not lose heart. So let's read our text, and uh, then we'll see what we can learn from James uh, on, this, uh, on this subject. Beginning with verse 7, going through verse 11, here's what we read. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. The first thing that I want to draw your attention to is verse 9, where James identifies a common temptation that people face when difficult times come to their lives. He writes, don't grumble against each other brothers or you will be judged. William MacDonald says of this verse, it is a curious twist of human nature that in times of pressure, we build up wrath against those we love the most. When times are tough, when the pressure intensifies on our lives, we often face tremendous temptation toward misplaced anger. Becoming angry and lashing out at those we love the most and at those who love us the most. It's a tragic thing. And it is a tragic thing that happens all the time. It happens in families. It happens between husbands and wives. It happens between close friends. It happens between brothers and sisters in Christ. It unfortunately happens within church families. And I really believe it's one of the saddest things that happens in human relationships is when hurting people turn against those who love them the most and are trying 
to help them. You've probably had this experience. A family member, a friend, a a spouse is facing great difficulty. Their pain and their pressure is building so much that they begin to falter in their decision-making. You, you see that they're starting to make decisions that are destructive for their lives, and so you try to help them. You, you point out what most everyone would agree is in their best interest, but they take it as an attack. They become angry with you. They lash out at you. They begin to complain about you to others, perhaps even in your relationship. You may have been on the receiving end of this kind of behavior. You may have been on the giving end of this kind of behavior. If you've lived long enough, you probably have found yourself on both sides of that equation. Most of us face this temptation at some time or other. Our pressure and pain become so great that our minds end up a chaotic mess and those who are closest to us bear the brunt of our pain and our confusion. Here's what James says about this. Don't do it. Or you will be judged. I think we let ourselves off much too easily when the pressure builds in our lives. We too easily excuse poor behavior. We too easily excuse lashing out at others and blaming others. We too easily excuse ending friendships and walking away from churches. We too easily excuse sin. James says that the suffering and oppression we experience in life are no excuse for turning on each other within the body of Christ. The difficulty faced in dealing with problems that arise is no excuse for turning on each other. And so if you are experiencing a lot of difficulty in life right now and you're finding that you're becoming angry with those around you, you're beginning to lash out at people who are trying to help you, I am tempted to say, I feel your pain, I understand, because I do, I face the same temptation, but James does not respond that way. James says, stop it, don't do it. Or you will be judged. You know, the Bible is not as touchy-feely as popular myths suggest that it is. James gives advice that is really more along the lines of the famous Bob Newhart comedy sketch. If you're familiar with this, he, he plays the role of a counselor. And a lady comes to him with all kinds of problems. And all of her problems are causing her to do things that she ought not to do. And with each new thing that she tells Counselor Bob that she is doing, and each new thing that she wants a, a soft answer and, and help with, Bob Newhart's response is, stop doing it. And then I do this other thing. Well, stop that too. And then because of this pain, I'm doing this. Well, stop doing that. That's his advice. And that's James' advice. Stop it. Don't do it. Or you'll be judged. Now, of all of the things that we could say about this, which really is not the, the point of the message today, James makes it really clear that this is something that's displeasing to God. 
So stop it. And that's all I have to say about that. So look with me again at verses 7 and 8. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Now, this section of James' letter may have a heading above it in your Bible that says something like patience and suffering. And uh, one of the commentaries I read through this week called this section, How to Be Patient. And the text itself begins with this admonition, be patient. And so the passage really is about patience and suffering, but we need to understand the word patient correctly. I think that when we think of being patient, we often are tempted to think of waiting in line at the BMV, which I did this week. Uh, We think of waiting in line for popcorn at the movies. We think of having exhausted our favorite TV series, on-demand offerings, and now we must wait, like all the other lemmings, for a whole week to pass before we can see the show again. I, I think that's what we think of when we think of waiting. But patience in the Bible, when we think of patience, when we think of waiting, but patience in the Bible is something that is much more courageous than any of that. Verse 8 gets us closer to the real meaning of patience when it says, be patient and stand firm. Be patient and stand firm. In the New Testament, patience means fortitude or steadfastness. Webster's defines the word steadfast as not changing or moving, firm in purpose, true and loyal. And this is what James wants for the Christians to whom he's writing. He wants them to be unchanging. He wants them to be unmoving, firm in purpose, true and loyal to God, even in the face of great oppression, even in the face of great suffering. This is what God wants from his people. This is what God wants from me. This is what God wants from you. Loyalty, even when times are hard. God wants his people to remain true to him, even when the pressures in their lives tempt them to conclude that God has not come through and this whole faith thing isn't really working for me. And because life offers us so much difficulty... It is vitally important that we become people who will remain steadfast in tough times. If we won't, then we are going to turn away from God. We're going to walk away from faith. And the enemy will have accomplished his purpose in our lives. So how do we do it? How do we remain steadfast? How do we remain patient in tough times? James tells us. I see in uh, James' writing four major points that I think can help us uh, remain steadfast. The first one is found in verse 8 and verse 9. Be patient until the Lord's coming, and the Lord's coming is near. This is the primary motive for patience, according to James. For remaining steadfast, the Lord is coming. Christ will return. Everything will not be like it is now 
there really, truly will come a day when Christ returns. The church has talked about this for 2,000 and some years. Most every generation has thought that their generation may be the, the one in which Christ would return, and yet he has not. And because of that, some have grown weary of the entire subject. You know, it's popular in Christian circles today to act as though any emphasis on the return of Christ is pointless and a distraction from our mission. But that is not how the early Christian leaders saw it. And it is not so, no matter how many people say it is so. From Paul admonishing the Thessalonians to comfort themselves with the knowledge that Christ would return, to James linking a belief in the return of Christ, to remaining faithful to God in the face of great difficulty, the return of Christ is meant to be central in the thinking of Christians. And it is meant to be a source of comfort and strength that allows us to remain steadfast, that helps us to remain steadfast through the tough times that life brings us. It will not always be this way. A better day is ahead. If we believe that, we are encouraged and we can remain faithful against the present difficulty. James likens it to a farmer who waits for the land to yield its crop, and he must be patient for something that's not in his control, the autumn and the spring rains. The main point of this is that the farmer can't hurry the process. He must be faithful. He has to be steadfast. He has to be firm in purpose while he waits for something that is not in his control. We can't control when Christ returns, but we must be steadfast as we wait. We must be steadfast as we endure the present difficulty. So if you want to remain steadfast in tough times, not give in to the temptation to quit, not give in to the temptation to walk away from God, remember that the Lord is coming and make this a central truth upon which you fix your mind. Christ is coming. Put it front and center of your thinking. Christ is coming. Get that truth deep down in your spirit. Read about it. Pray about it. Ask God to allow the Holy Spirit to just drive it deep into your heart so that you know that you know that you know it's true. Christ really will come again. When you believe that this is not all there is, that a better day really is coming, you can be encouraged and you can be emboldened to face whatever it is that you have to face in life. The second thing we find about remaining steadfast is found in verse 10 and the second part of 11. We are to consider the example of the prophets who actually spoke on behalf of God. They were so close to God that they were able to actually speak on His behalf. And yet they faced great suffering. And then we're given a very specific example to reflect on in verse 11. We're reminded of Job's perseverance. So we remain steadfast by remembering that the Lord is coming. And we remain steadfast in tough times by remembering that the best people have all suffered and finding inspiration in their example. Here is a truth that we would do well to embrace we are not the only people who have faced difficulty in life. 
It is a universally shared experience with every single person who has ever lived on this planet. We are not unique. We're not the only people who have been in this boat. I mentioned earlier the example of Jeremiah and all he endured. The prophets of God all suffered difficulty and hardship of various kinds. Job lost his family, lost all of his possessions, ended up with his body covered in boils. He suffered so much that his wife finally looked at him in his pitiful condition and encouraged him to curse God and die. You know you've had a rough life when your wife says, Honey, I think it would be best for you just to do something so outrageous that God would kill you. I mean, it's been a rough life if your wife turns to you and says that. But Job, in one of the more famous quotes from the Bible, had this attitude in the midst of his suffering. It's the attitude that I believe God wants for all of his all of his children, he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked will I depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. It's what God wants. It's where he wants us to live. We're not after his stuff. We're not after his benefits. We're after him. We're okay if we have him. In Hebrews 11, the Faith Hall of Fame, we're told of people who though they faced much, much hardship, and though they never attained the promise in this life, they were still living by faith when they died. And Hebrews tells us about something these people had in common. They admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. They were living for a heavenly country. They were living for a place that had not yet arrived but was coming, a place that God had prepared for them. And because their minds and their hearts were fixed on what God had for them in the future, we are told that God was not ashamed to be called their God. We consider the faithfulness of people who face stonings and torture and being destitute. We are reminded that they remain faithful through all of that. And we are encouraged to remain steadfast against our own difficulties. And we see in their example that living for a future reward enabled them to live by faith. And to still be living by faith when they died. So we remember the Lord is coming. We remember that when we suffer, we're in good company. The best people have all suffered. We learn and follow their example. And we remember that those who suffer and persevere through their suffering are considered blessed. James writes in verse 11, and you know we consider blessed those who have persevered. Different translations of the Bible help us, I think, to kind of flesh out this picture of what James means in verse 11. Uh, Most of the translations of the Bible, the NIV included, uh, say that those who persevered are blessed. The New Living Translation, which is a little bit more of a paraphrase, but it says uh, that those who persevered, uh, those who endure are honored. And then the Amplified Bible uh, helps us quite a bit here. The Amplified Bible makes the point 
that the original word that gets translated blessed carries within its meaning the word happy. Those who endure are happy. So those who have gone before us, who we look at their example, they endured. They lived and they died. The end result for them is that they are blessed, they are honored, they are happy. And for those of us who steadfastly endure, who face tough times without turning away from God, our end result is honor, blessing, and happiness. Job is blessed. Job is honored. He is with the Lord. And he is happy. Jeremiah is blessed. He is honored. He is with the Lord. And he is happy. The heroes of Hebrews 11 are blessed. They are honored. They are with the Lord. And they are happy. Stay faithful. Remain steadfast, even in the face of your trouble, your suffering, your pain, your oppression, and you too will be blessed, you will be honored, and you will be happy. The end result of enduring, the end result of perseverance is happiness. And the fourth thing we find in James that will help us remain steadfast in tough times, verse 11 You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. We learn in the 42nd chapter of Job that after all the trouble that came on him, quote, the Lord made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had before. Verse 12 of Job 42 says, The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. And verse 16 says that after all the trouble Job had, he, quote, lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. And then the end of the book says this, And so he died old and full of years. Can I promise you that if you're faithful, you will get everything Job got in this life? I can't promise you that. But here's what I think we are supposed to take from this story. Here, I think, is the real point of the story. That no matter the difficulty that comes to our lives, in the end, it is going to be okay. In the end, you get it all back. It's going to be okay. When all is said and done, the end result for those who walk close to Jesus, the blessing they experience will far surpass the difficulty that they have endured. And the reason this is true is because the God we serve is full of compassion and he is full of mercy. In fact, I think Peter uh, sheds a little light on our present suffering in 2 Peter 3. I think he lets us know a little bit about why we're still here facing the difficulty that we do in this life. He lets us know, uh, gives us a little insight into why the Lord has not returned. And he says, it's for this reason the Lord is patient with you. 
not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. We continue to endure the tough times of life in this fallen world because God is so compassionate, He is so merciful that He is waiting. He is giving everyone an opportunity to come to repentance and acceptance of Christ as Savior and Lord. God is compassionate and merciful, and if you'll believe that, if you'll get to know Him well enough to really deep down in your being believe that, it'll help you remain steadfast in tough times. You'll know that you aren't alone in your struggle, and you'll know that in the end, God will make it all okay. Well, the main emphasis of everything that James says to us really does fall under this this main point, remember that the Lord is coming. This is the main point on how we stay faithful in difficult times. It's not always going to be this way. Tough times will not last forever. So we have to keep in our minds all the time that the pain we experience in this fallen world is only temporary. Our suffering and our oppression are only temporary. Our frustration and our fear, disease and sickness are only temporary. We have to remember that death itself will not be with us forever. Here's what Revelation 21.4 says about this. It says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And then it says, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Making everything new. Tough times are only temporary. They won't last forever because the Lord really is coming. And when he comes, he will restore all things. He will make all things new. And our suffering will give way to glory. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Romans 8. He said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed in us. No matter how difficult it is right now, no no matter how awful, no matter how intense the pressure, and Paul faced great pressure and suffering in his life, and he summed it all up, he, he considered it all, and he said, everything I've been through, it's not even worth comparing to how good it's going to be in the end. So don't give up. Jesus is coming. Don't lose heart. Jesus is coming. Don't walk away from faith. Jesus is coming. And when he does, he'll make all things right. Suffering will give way to glory. Enduring will give way to honor and happiness. All that has gone wrong in life will be corrected. All the hurt and the pain, the disease, the sickness, it'll all be removed. Death will be no more. And forever. Grab hold of that word. Forever. 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 You will live free from everything that made this fallen world so incredibly difficult. Our present sufferings 
are not worth comparing with the glory that awaits us. Why don't you stand?